On today's episode, I got the opportunity to kick it with one of my close friends, Tyler Spaulding, the one and only. He's a really close friend of mine, been friends since we were like six years old. Incredibly smart person, someone with a lot of insight and compassion in life and always looking to expand his knowledge and to just be a better person. I appreciate the hell out of him for just everything he's done growing you know, with his physical training and just in general all the lessons and all the experiences and all the fun times we've had together. He's a Geneseo graduate, a working professional in the tech industry, and someone who continues to expand his education every chance he gets. Without further ado, I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did because this is genuinely a dope person. You're listening to a Pretty Normal Podcast, a show that highlights the fascinating stories and thought-provoking moments that make up our lives. My name's Xavier Diaz, and I want to hear your story. I'm good. I'm good. I've been like kind of moving nonstop for the past three weeks. Just like every time I have off, I'm like getting pulled in one direction somewhere else. Yeah, bro. It was but, just your birthday. Happy birthday. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Big two six. Want to give a shout out on this podcast to the Brooklyn Institute for Social Research. Um, it's a place where I've been going to practice my liberal arts education and philosophy while still working full time as a tech professional. And uh, it's pretty sick, you know, it's a really good avenue to have like intellectual discussions and lectures and stuff like that Mm -hmm. when you're not in a school environment anymore. So a big shout out to them. If anyone's listening to this, you know, all three of you. um. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, shout out. We do it for you. Uh, We do do this for you. Uh, Check it out. Uh, What have you been taking there? What courses have you taken? So I've only taken two courses there. They run for about a month. So you go once a week for four weeks. Uh, I did one on Nietzsche, Nietzsche's perspectivalism. So basically Nietzsche, you know, everyone knows him as like this super edgy nihilist philosopher, but he really wasn't a nihilist at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, he hated nihilists. And uh, you know, if you think he's a nihilist, then you're not reading his stuff properly or at all. And, uh, but basically the course was just about like how Nietzsche wrote this essay called On Truth and Lies in a Non-Moral Sense. And basically he states that we live in a dissimulation. So, you know, you ever heard the term like, oh, we live in a simulation? Well, calling something a simulation implies that it's simulating something real. Nietzsche goes even further than that and says that we really have no grounding for anything and that we don't really know what's ahead of us. Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of what people tell us what it is, but it's not really true. It's like a fabric of your imagination with no, <laughs> excuse me, bearing on the truth. So he calls it a dissimulation. So that whole class was about like, what does that mean? Uh, and what does it have to do with living a good life? And then the other class I took was on a philosopher called Hegel. And I don't really want to get into it right now because number one, it's so intense that I'm going to fuck it up. And number two, like, it's just too much. But basically, like, if you want to understand, like, Marxism and, like, leftist ideology, you have to study Hegel because uh-huh. Marx was a student of Hegel. And Marx takes Hegel's metaphysics, Hegel's ideas, and kind of 
makes them material and makes them political. Um, and the t what kind of people do you see in these classes that you go to? Well, yo, that's the dopest part. So at first I was a little snobby because not a lot of people there had like a philosophy background. Mm -hmm. There were certain things that needed to be re recovered uh, that normally you wouldn't have to if you were in like a master's program for philosophy. But like everyone there is mad smart. Yeah. You know, we got like doctors, like dead ass doctors, you know, Harvard anim educated people, animators, artists. You know, tech bros like me. I mean, that's the funny thing, you know. I'm like, I always joke around with the guy who teaches it. You know, he has a PhD in philosophy. I always tell him that I sold out because, like, I'm going to be honest with you. Getting paid, like, 18 grand a year mm -hmm. to fucking learn philosophy for six years sounds horrible. Uh, it doesn't sound like a good time. So I always joke around that I sold out. So, yeah, tell me about what you do currently. What do I do for a living right now? Yes. So... When I was like 22, fresh out of college, I like landed up on this opportunity to work for a company called Live XYZ, uh, world's best map of New York City and downtown Austin area. We have more than that mapped, but that's what we're keeping live. So I started working there from like the ground up and they really th threw me through the fucking ringer. Uh, but I just kept growing with the company and now I'm a senior manager, I'm a senior content manager. And you know, it, with the content in industry, it's interesting because it's very much about like what you work for. So like if you work for Spotify, a lot of what you'd be doing is like helping build playlists or maybe things involving pop culture. Yeah. But like when you work, like I work for a data company that's in mapping. So basically I manage the managers who map, manage the mappers. Mm -hmm. And then, but more along the lines that like I manage the data they bring in and will speak with them to change what they're doing. Uh, in order to get that in. And then a lot of what I do is called data parsing. Mm -hmm. So like, uh, the map also has events and you know i use software to essentially look at a website mm -hmm. and say this is an event name this is where it's starting this is the date and it'll spit out a spreadsheet for me and you know if it's fine it's fine i can just add that straight to my database but it never is so i have to code <laughs> the spreadsheet to you know, automatically clean the data as it comes in so we can put it into our database. And I mean, it's pretty stimulating. It's not philosophy. Like, I love philosophy, but, yeah, you know, the pay is good and I own part of the company, but... Do you find any ways that you can integrate philosophy into your work? All into the time. Tech? All the time, yeah. For sure. Uh, you know, just, we'll, we'll start more surface and get deeper, but I mean, in order to have a degree in philosophy, you have to know classical logic. Mm -hmm. So, like, what is coding? Coding is logic. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So when I'm working with developers and helping them build products and kind of steering them and, you know, keeping that user perspective in mind, you know, my background in logic helps a lot too. I mean, when I needed to learn how to parse data, it only took me like a week because I knew what I already knew logic. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, as you get deeper, you know, there's certain aspects of just, you know, for instance, like I like sto studying stoic philosophy, which is kind of the belief that we can only control what we do. And, uh, you know, like in the sense that we can't control what happened, what the world does to us, we can only control how we react. Mm -hmm. So I remember there was one time, one of my subordinates, I don't know, you know, before I spoke to him, I didn't know what was going on, but he was being really rude to me. And you know, I'm a little bit of a hothead. So when someone's rude to me, like yeah. I, I get pissed, but like <laughs> I, you can't like start freaking out because no, yeah. it's just not going to help out. And I remember there was this one passage, I'm going to look this one up because mm -hmm. I, I want everyone to hear like the exact passage. Yeah. But uh, there's a there's a Stoic philosopher named 
uh, Marcus Aurelius, and he was actually a uh, a Roman emperor. And he studied Stoic philosophy to just help him, just to be a great ruler, a great emperor. Uh, he would study. There we go. Okay, so he would study Stoicism and practice this. And I mean, Stoicism is something that, you know, you have rich people doing it. I mean, one of the founding people of Stoicism was a slave. Mm -hmm. And this philosophical doctrine allowed him to, you know, really grab life by the balls. And to be comic, put it comically simple, but to just really get control and mastery over his life, his feelings, his emotions. Mm -hmm. And eventually he was able to escape slavery and so on. But also we have, you know, Roman emperors like Marcus Aurelius who needed to deal with a lot of people who need who needed to rule a nation. And he was one of the greatest emperors they ever had. So I'm going to read this passage mm -hmm. uh, just to reframe the conversation. I had a rude subordinate give me a lot of trouble. And, you know, I wanted to throw the kid out the fucking window. But I also really don't like sharing a toilet with other men. So I didn't want to go to prison. Um, but I was wondering where, yeah, that, where was that going to go? It was going to prison. Anyway, but on a more serious note, you know, as a manager, especially as a senior manager, you know, you're a leader in a company and you need people to work for you. And, you know, this is an important lesson that I learned by seeing other people make this mistake. But if you rule by fear, you only can have control over those with no courage. You don't want that. You want strong, courageous people on your team. The only way you can get to lead them is through love and respect. Yeah. So this passage, I thought of this passage and I'm going to read it right now. When you wake up in the morning, tell yourself the people I deal with today will be meddling, ungrateful, arrogant, dishonest, jealous, and surly. They are like this because they cannot tell the good from evil, but I have seen the beauty of good and the ugliness of evil and have recognized that the wrongdoer has a nature related to my own. Not of the same birth and blood, but the same mind, and possessing a share of the divine. And so, none of them can hurt me. No one can implicate me in ugliness, nor can I feel angry at my relative or hate him. We were born to work together, like feet, hands, and eyes, like the two rows of teeth, upper and lower. To obstruct each other is unnatural. To feel anger at someone, to turn your back on him, these are unnatural. I read that, and it calmed me down, and I... I told the kid, I was like, hey, you know, you need to stop what you're doing right now because I've never treated you with any ounce of disrespect. Let's, uh, let's take 10. Let's go talk a little bit. What's up? So we sat down and, you know, of course, you know, and the thing is in life, when people treat you that way, it never really has to do anything with you. No. Unless you're being an asshole. Yeah. Like a direct asshole. But, you know, we sat down and he's like, my brother's dying. Of course this dude's gonna be rude and disrespectful and fucking mean. Yeah. He's dealing with his younger brother fucking dying, you yeah, know what I hard. mean? Mm -hmm. So I talked to him and I was like, oh my god, I'm so sorry for you. You know, if you need to take the rest of the day off, you can. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, but I'm so sorry, you know, in the future, just let me know. We can figure something out. Maybe you can go home and work at night from home or something like that. It doesn't matter. Yeah. But ever since then, in showing that understanding, I mean... He, he's no longer working with my company anymore. He uh, found a different job because he was in college. He was a college student working on my team. And he got a degree in data analytics, so he found a company with a better fit for his new degree. But, you know, ever for the year or so after that, he was wonderfully respectful. I mean, put it 110% in everything. And I wouldn't have had that sort of, like, measured, careful, intelligent response if it wasn't for practicing philosophy. So, you know, it's not always so direct. Things in life are not always so direct, but philosophy 
yeah. many uses. Yeah, man, that's great. That's great that you were able to you know, apply what you've learned in philosophy and it helped you directly in the workplace and just to be a you know more compassionate human being seriously that's great man yeah. so part of that talked about something with the divine yeah are you a religious person first off um you know it's it's an interesting question because i'm definitely would say i'm more spiritual than most mm -hmm. um and i do i am a theist i do believe in god i was raised jewish um but you know as Growing up, I was always interested in religion, so like I would study Buddhism and Christianity and Islam and Hinduism and you name it. I mean, even the pagan myths and religions and things like that. Um, but to return to the question, I wouldn't say I'm religious because I'm pretty... Mm -hmm. You're more spiritual. Yeah, I'm very say. spiritual, but I'm not like organized in that sense, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Which is good. You know, it's important to, there's, I think, important things in every religion that we shouldn't ignore. And it's a great to just blend lessons from each one of them. Hey, we're going to take a short break. If you got to do anything, you got to walk your dog, you were on your commute and you about to get to work, or you just got to go up and get to the bathroom. Do what you got to do right now. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, more from the interview with Tyler Spaulding. We're going to talk about the stigma against drugs, never being satisfied with what you have, and plenty of other things. As you can tell, this is an incredible interview. Tyler's got so much more to say when we come back. By the way, just to keep this out here, uh, I try not to use the word psychedelic when talking about these things in like a professional or academic uh, standpoint because I feel like they are... There's a stigma with that word. Yeah. And I think that they really... They, first off, they were considered sacred medicines in the tribes that would use them. They are medicine. So I try to use the term sacred medicine to refer to them, to return to the point that it's more serious than just a drug you do for fun. <laughs> you know, it's important to realize that the chemicals in our brain are the same sort of chemicals that you ingest when you do these medicines or psychedelics. You know, for instance, like serotonin is a tryptamine. Uh, so is DMT, it's a dimethyltryptamine, I believe is what it's called. It's one of those long chemical names. Mm -hmm. And they're both tryptamines. And you also have something called phenethylamines. And for instance, uh, dopamine is a phenethylamine. So, you know, we have these chemicals in our brain. So it's important to stay grounded scientifically mm -hmm. when you start talking about these things because there's so much stigma and it's so wonky. And the stigma comes from people within these subcultures that use these drugs, that use these medicines when in the, using the right hands and just get super fucking fried. Yeah, I and, definitely think, you know, there's there's definitely a couple people that do it because it's not for everyone. No, I don't think not. it's not for everyone. But there are times where people that shouldn't do it do it and then immediately everyone's like, well, look at this example. Look, he's fried now and now his life yeah. is gone. And it's like, you can't use that prime example just to, you know, turn away from all drugs or all, you know, other examples where people might have used it. For example, mushrooms just got decriminalized in um, Denver. In Denver. Yes. How do you feel? Well, yeah, I'm going completely off of the other no, story. Let's, but yeah, let's keep, keep going. This open. Yeah, yeah. So, how do you feel mushrooms can help people? You know, that are dealing with depression, anxiety. Um, as someone who you know yeah. has dealt with this before. So you know, let's keep this open. And when when I'm speaking about these medicines, when we speak about these medicines now. I don't want to make it all about me because yeah. it's, you know, it, it's not something that's exclusive mm -hmm. and the knowledge gained from these, you know, it's not something that 
you know, you like not everyone has to do these substances, but the lessons learned from it are very universal. They're very human. A lot of these experiences, you know, you'll find everyone who engages with these substances, with these medicines, they have similar experiences. I truthfully believe that it should just be full legal and, and no one really like abuses these drugs you know like it's not like the sort of thing where it's like i'm gonna be eating shrooms every day first off there's natural inhibitors where you know if you if you take three grams of shrooms it takes six grams the next day yeah. to get the same effect so on and so forth i will say i met this one dude i don't even know the guy's name i yeah. didn't know much about him yeah. i was just listening to him talking just laughing he said that the next day he was gonna go to the movie theaters and just eat mushrooms in the theaters and just trip out and he's like i'm gonna go from movie to movie just eating shrooms tripping all day and i was like all right man that sounds like a bad way to spend your day but there are always gonna be some people that are just like dude what are you doing i mean look <laughs> uh you know there's <laughs> a natural constant there will always be spawnions natural um, selection yeah, yeah there will always be spawnions Bro, and, and yeah this guy was like you know he was literally the stereotypical, like, got his backpack on, oh, he's got God, like, a hoodie on. He's like, I'm going to go to the movie theaters and eat some mushrooms. Crispy fucking Friday. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like Friday's, a fun time. dude, Jesus. And it's like, damn, bro, I, me personally, I don't give a shit what you do, man. But yeah. <laughs> you, you're giving a bad image. Yeah. Or, like, there was another dude in my college who tried to bring a bong into the library. And it's like, bro, what are you doing, man? Like, you're giving a bad image to everyone. Oh my god, that's amazing. <laughs> it's like, what the hell are you doing, What kind bro? of stupid fuck would do that? Yeah, man, so it's like, man, I don't give a fuck. Most people are not gonna give a fuck, but there's gonna be people that are looking at you and they're like, oh, look at this, marijuana! What? There is stigma. Of course. You know, there's the puritanical stigma from the people who just don't do anything like this. Yeah. And then there's the stigma that comes from seeing fucking idiots <laughs> yeah. get super fucking fried and blow their mind apart. These are serious things. It's not like a fucking joke. While it can be very euphoric and fun to, you know, take some mushrooms and do whatever. I mean, at the end of the day, they're very serious. Yeah, you gotta respect it. Yeah, gotta exactly. Respect it's all about respect. And with anything anything in life i mean you gotta respect cheeseburgers you disrespect cheeseburgers you're gonna become fucking morbidly obese exactly you know what i yeah. mean like you mm. gotta use moderation i mean and you know it's funny it's like people will be like well what if you do too much and it's like you just said it there you're not supposed to do too much that's yeah. why it's called too much exactly you know you're a fucking idiot if you do it too <laughs> yeah. much no offense but like i think that a really good analogy that I like to have that may go over some heads if you're not into like cheesy kung fu movies and anime <laughs> But in those shows, you know, there's always like this part where they're like, oh, we gotta train But we only have five days and then like one sensei comes and they're like I have this technique It'll boost your training by like 20 years, but you might die Right like psychedelics are a lot like that where it's like you can boost your spiritual understanding of reality and like mental landscape as if you've been a Buddhist monk for 20 years, mm -hmm. but you also might completely fucking go insane. And, <laughs> and, and you know, that's something that you always have to keep in mind. I mean, Terrence McKenna, who's someone I've been studying a lot recently, he, he was like the originator of like this movement of like using psychedelics to like, you know, kind of redeeming the psychedelic, redeeming the spiritual from all this propaganda out there. And I mean, even him, I don't know how true this is, this is kind of like a rumor, but even him near the end of his life, a man who for decades would take massive doses. Uh, he did one and he never tripped again. He went to hell.
something. Or something like that. He experienced the sorrow world. These are all things that people who trip talk about and categorize of like things that can happen in your trip. Yeah. So like, I don't know exactly what happened with him, but maybe he experienced like the void mm-hmm. and just like, you know, time stopped existing for him or whatever. I mean, it can be very torturous. Like that's the thing. You're really testing your the limits of experiential reality. You could mm-hmm. you could be trapped in a timeless zone for what feels like an eternity. Mm-hmm. And oh and you talk to your friend, you're like, oh my God, have I, like, what the fuck happened? They're like, oh yeah, you were like crying in that corner for 30 minutes. Yeah, you've had, you've seen firsthand like people change from before the trip to after the trip, right? Yeah, I've seen, I've seen these things really fuck people over and ruin lives. Uh, not and, and and the thing is is though it wasn't the substance it was the person doing the substance being foolish and again i'll return to the fact that i myself have made these mistakes uh whenever i give advice to anyone it's basically like me saying like hey i made this mistake so you don't have to mm-hmm. um you know but i i know i remember i had a friend in college she was a really sweet young girl very beautiful very smart she just did a little too much LSD among other drugs and just completely had a mental breakdown and like was just never really the same. Oh, that's so um, sad. She's okay now. You know, I think she's like 24 now, just finishing undergrad. You know, she had to take a step back, take some time off. What I will say though is that you can regain mental clarity and stability um, after doing this. Yeah. You know, but. Again, it's not a joke, and I have seen the f- I've seen the full range of things that one can experience with these things. I've seen people completely burn themselves out, mm-hmm. cause lasting psychological damage to them, but get fixed. And I've also seen people use these substances to liberate themselves from PTSD, OCD, ADHD. I mean, you name it. So, mm-hmm. do you know about microdosing? Um, uh, I'm actually I'm really glad you read to bring this up yeah, yeah, because yeah. I was about to say something, but I was like, oh, let me wait for him to bring it up. Uh-huh. So I'm kind of against microdosing in the sense that I feel like it's uh, kind of goes against the whole point of psychedelia. So microdosing is what taking small amounts consistently Be- below threshold doses, so you don't really get high, mm-hmm. but it's enough to help you kind of like it's like a more holistic sort of energy and concentration that you get from it a lot of people say they don't take adderall anymore they'll just microdose on lsd and like while you know i'm not gonna sit on my high horse and say hey don't do something that helps you because that's utterly ridiculous if you find that this helps you in your life it makes your life better you should do it but I've always been very partial to the macro dose. <laughs> uh, <laughs> macro dose is where you just go full out? No, yeah, a macro dose is a joking term that I made up where uh. it's just like eating a bunch of tabs or shrooms and kind of blowing your mind up. And seeing uh, where it goes from seeing there. Seeing where it goes because I feel like instead of taking a little bit every day to like be better at work, you should just blow your fucking mind open <laughs> and really process that and just take that with you when you go back to work or whatever you're doing, you know what I mean? Like, it's not Adderall, man. It's a fucking serious mm-hmm. spiritual... Med- and, you know, shamans have been doing this for thousands of years. These people led entire communities and societies uh, in a sustainable fashion where they could, you know, build these wonderful, vibrant communities. I mean, you know, in a hunter-gatherer society, altogether, each person worked like 15 hours a week. 15? 15. 15. 
each person though. Each, yeah, but is. like the thing about in our society right now, on average you work 35, 40. Yeah. Probably more because we live in New York, right? Yeah, yeah. All together, the work that the people in these communities did, it was like, from what I've read from certain anthropological studies, about 15 hours a week. But why is that? Just because... Because they didn't less... fucking care about the bullshit that we yeah. care about. Mm -hmm. They didn't need the fastest car mm -hmm. and the fucking nicest clothes. And, and you know, I want to return to this because there's so much I have to think about this, but they didn't care about those things. Mm -hmm. They just wanted to praise the spirits and their ancestors. Mm -hmm and hunt and have a ton of sex. I mean, that's what they were doing. Yeah. Like when they weren't working and they were fucking and dancing and like making music. Yeah. That's like all they did. Like seriously, it was ridiculous. I mean, everything I've read, I mean, it's just like, you know, you see some of these hunter gatherer cultures, they have like no concept of like, like the, the women would just sleep with other men. They had no like, it, it, they were completely sexually liberated. Yeah. And just having fucking great times all over mm -hmm. the place. And like there's certain things that I think are great now, like vaccines and antibiotics and like yeah, modern yeah. plumbing are really cool. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, I like that a lot. Uh -huh. But we really need to work on as a species, like returning to our roots of community. Not just about the fucking. That's just kind of a silly way of like emphasizing how good they had it, but like I think that something happened when we went from hunter-gatherer to agricultural society and we built this state. And then it, industrial. Yeah, industrial is next level. Yeah. But I mean, I feel like the agriculture and the industrial is still like a similar. It's, yeah. Like it Not wasn't like a drastic off. difference yeah. in like human life in mm -hmm. the sense that people were working more and there was surplus food and a lot of people have jobs that weren't just revolving around building food, uh, building food stores. You know, people were able to make art and poetry. Yeah. But. And well, you know, people did do the cave paintings in the hunter-gatherer times, so they did make art, but... Yeah, and they told stories. They had better memories because they yeah. had to remember all the stories that they were telling. You know, I just mean, like, the trappings of, like, you know, your typical... They didn't have to worry about profit and maximizing yeah. profit, man. They didn't care, and, yeah. and they would just feed their people. But, I mean, they had, don't get it wrong. They had their own set of challenges. Of course. But, basically, I feel like it's just so funny. You know, let's let's keep this conversation on. It's something I was thinking about today. It's so funny, because if you look at, like, the grand scheme of human history, we live in such a time of abundance where everyone should be very happy. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. So, you know, some people say, you know, everyone's got a microwave. Everyone's got this. You can go to Walmart and get things for cheap, but yeah. we're still not happy. And and I think it's because of a loss of community. Mm -hmm. um, I think that a certain malignant narcissism developed when we kind of created an agricultural society and said that we were the masters of nature as opposed to just a part of it. Mm -hmm. um, and when we did that, it we kind of fell from grace in a sense. It's very like Garden of Eden genesis mm -hmm. in a way, because I feel like that's kind of the fall from grace, the fall from paradise. It's just like this constant needing for more and more and more. Yeah. You know, you see that in a lot of existential writers, you know, they'll be like, okay, you set a goal, you achieve the goal, but then that becomes a new norm mm -hmm. and you're bored again yep. and you need something new. And while I don't, I'm not saying there's necessarily something wrong with that. I think that what we need is to just regain the sense of magic and wonder that we had and community and love that we once had and we need to reconcile it because the abundance we have is wonderful 
I don't necessarily think that it's particularly wrong that we live in comfortable homes with no bugs and like lots yeah. of tasty food and yeah, yeah. free running water. I think that's wonderful. I think that's something that is great, but we need to change our values mm-hmm. and stop coveting our neighbors. Yeah. You know, which, I mean, they even speak about that in the Bible, but we got to do something because we are destroying the planet rapidly. Well, yeah, I, I also think it's going to get worse now because kids at this age are given, you know, cell phones and all these things are very expensive. And like when me and you were kids, you could get a toy and then you were happy for a while. But it's like kids, they want phones because their friends have phones. And so we're going to get to this point where at a younger age, you're taught to, you know, want more, want what your friends have, want what everybody else has. So you grow up and you're like, well, I want to get a job that gives me all these nice things so I could have these nice things that I didn't have as a kid or that I did have as a kid. And then another thing is that, you know, learning about credit cards is something that is completely on the person. Like you got to really go out and know like, all right, there's the interest rates. This is blah, blah, blah. They don't teach you this. Like, so everybody's got credit cards and stuff and they're just swiping away. And then their interest rate is higher than they can actually afford. So now we all got all this stuff, but we got so much debt. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's interesting because their society is very free in many senses. I mean, you're completely free to fuck your life up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? For the better yeah. or the worse. Like, you know, you're allowed to do that. You're allowed to hate things. You're allowed to... And on one hand, I am a little harsh with that because I do think that it is the individual's responsibility to educate themselves. And it's never been easier. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, yeah, if you get a credit card, you should Google... what you need to do yeah of course and i am a little harsh in that regard where i feel like there's a lot of look i know there's a lot of people struggling out there today a lot of people who are not doing well financially but a lot of people i know who are doing really really poorly financially it's because they make incredibly fucking stupid decisions yeah um and you know a big problem coming to a head right now is you know we need to fucking help these people. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? We need. We can't just let people die on the street, but then it, it it's like, is it someone else's responsibility? Yeah. You know, to, you know, give up the money that they've worked hard for to help these people. And frankly, I think that even beyond the moral imperative, because I do think that it doesn't hurt for everyone to chip in a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Uh, I definitely think that it's there's a moral imperative for that that it's the right thing to do but it's just good economics yeah you know if more people have more money to buy more things everyone's gonna have more money in general even if you're paying one to two percent more in taxes a a year you know if people aren't going fucking bankrupt because of their health expenses Mm. even if it's because hey you're an idiot and you smoke cigarettes for 30 years (laughs) and now you have fucking terrible health and you're bankrupt because you have to pay for it i mean which is horrible and i'm not saying that you know, we shouldn't help these people or anything like that, but it is their fault. Mm-hmm. You smoke pack a day for 30 years. Did you think you were going to be in great health when no, you're 50? No, not of cheap. course not. Yeah. So, but I do think that, you know, if we do have to pay a little bit more, even if you're totally upstanding and haven't made any of these bad mistakes, beyond the moral imperative, it's just good for the economy. You know, if you sell a good or a service and people have more money, you'll have more people buying your good and service. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the student loan debt, I mean, that is just so predatory. That's as predatory as... Yeah, bro. Yeah. You wouldn't give a fucking 18-year-old a fucking regular loan, like... But you'll give them $25,000 that you don't know if they're going to be able to pay back in four years. Yeah. It's wild. And then it's just... 
college itself is increasingly just getting more and more expensive. I'm finding college to increasingly be more and more of a scam. Yeah, I think so. It's a pyramid scheme to me. It's a total pyramid <laughs> scheme. I mean, we were sold on this idea that, you know, the Van Wilders and the... What's the name of that fucking college movie? Animal House? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the Animal Houses and the Van Wilder movies where... You know, and don't get me wrong, I had a wonderful time in college, and it was really great, but, uh, you know, I had the, I had the opportunity of being raised Jewish, so, uh, my parents have been bitching me about money since I was two years old. <laughs> so they were like, you're going to community college, and if you maintain A's, we'll help you, and this, that, and the other thing. But it's like, you know, if you do community college for two years, you do a state school, it's pretty affordable. Mm -hmm. um, I think Geneseo tuition is like $8,000 a year. Yeah. Uh, Nassau Community College is like two to $4,000 a year. So, I mean... But it does go up every year. Yeah, it does. I mean, you even see the fucking train fares for the LRR went up. Everything. You see that? Of living is yeah. just it's too damn uh, expensive. No, nah, the issue is inflation. The issue is because... Uh, money gets about 3% less valuable every year. So, mm -hmm. like, if you're working a job and your raise is in 3% or more a year, you're actually making less money the next year. The next year. We need to take a different look at medicine. Yeah. Because a lot of issues with people's health have to do with horrible diet and lack of exercise. Yeah. This whole, like... Uh, system where we treat things after it's art like after you're already sick we should be trying to prevent those diseases and things yeah I mean you know growing up I was never athletic I was always like when I was a kid I was like very nerdy and into video games and like reading still am but like that was like definitely something that was like my life and then in high school I was like a music punk kid so like I never was into athleticism and physical fitness uh, but about two and a half years ago, I started taking lifting very seriously and really working on my physical health. And I mean, I can already, even just beyond the aesthetics of having like muscles and stuff like that, it's just nice to feel good. I feel amazing. Yeah. I mean, like my mental health is incredible because of it. I feel great. My stomach doesn't hurt as much. I don't have heartburn as much anymore. So, like, don't get me wrong. If I eat, like, a big piece of cake, like, my stomach will hurt. But, yeah, like, dude. And that comes with age. Yeah. I don't know. I've always kind of been like that since I was, like, 16. Sugars. Yeah. Word. I've always been very sensitive to sugar, which actually helps a lot with, like, not eating like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, but just getting taking that seriously, I mean, it's helped immensely. And it's, like... I just keep thinking, like, imagine if, like, someone really stressed the importance of physical fitness and diet mm -hmm. when I was, like, nine years old. I mean, my parents don't didn't really know, like, how to eat healthy. Like, I remember as a kid, my father would, like, tell me that pizza was healthy for me because yeah. there was tomatoes in it. <laughs> and, like, yeah, and, like, I believed it. And, like, the thing is, is, like, my father's a marathon runner. <laughs> so, like, he was always, like, super shredded. So uh -huh. I was like, oh, yeah, pizza's definitely good for you. Mm -hmm. But it's like, no, it's got you can eat mad pizza if you run 18 miles a day, my G, but yeah, like, you exactly. know, but it's you like, you want at that point. Yeah, it's like, bro, but it's bread covered in fat and sugar, mm -hmm. you know? So, but I mean, just the narratives that our kids have, you know, and granted, we grew up a little bit before the Super Size Me era. 
you know yeah. so I remember when I was a kid like people didn't really appreciate how bad McDonald's were for you mm -hmm. like it was just like yeah I'm gonna take my kids to McDonald's McDonald's is lit yeah man and then, birthday parties yeah McDonald's dude <laughs> I still I still love McDonald's but I just don't eat it that often because I know that it's bad for you uh -huh. but like growing up like you know I feel like it was the end of an era when we were kids because like people were just like having regular soda and eating McDonald's and no one gave a fuck about health or no. anything like that and then Super Size Me came out and people were like, what the fuck? Like, yeah. holy shit, this guy's like dead and he's been eating McDonald's every day for a month. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, I mean, if we just, you know, we gotta revamp, you know, to return kind of what you were saying earlier, we gotta revamp our public education system. Mm -hmm. uh, there's so many things that kids need to know about. Yep, yep. You know, like health, like real physical education, not like... Uh -huh. Not like, oh, we're gonna fucking run laps. It's we're like, no, play. like, I'm gonna teach you how to deadlift. I'm gonna teach you how to bench. I'm mm. gonna teach you how to lift weights. I'm gonna teach you how to run, like, yeah. really run. Teach you how to really swim or whatever. You know, and, and look, they tried, but I, I think it's also the tragedy of the commons where it's like we went to public schools and, like, yeah. You know, they can't just individually have a weightlifting class no. for fucking hundreds of kids a day. Bro, and then kids are cruel, man. So, like, I remember in PE, there's kids that just didn't want to do it. They're, for whatever, yeah. they're like, I'm not that physically active. I don't want to oh, do I it. Oh, I hated that shit back yeah, then. Yeah, man. And then, because then if they did it, they might get ridiculed or whatever. Kids are cruel. Kids are, like, little assholes. This episode was brought to you by Pretty Norman Podcast. My name is Xavier Diaz, and I want to thank Tyler for kicking with me and sharing all these dope stories. We could probably talk for days straight, but I wanted to give you guys a little preview of just how much we talk about when we link up. To close this segment out, here's Tyler talking about why he prefers to travel solo as opposed to traveling with big groups. Till next time, this is a Pretty Normal Podcast. All right, so I'll just speak about like my experiences traveling and like why I kind of really like traveling solo as opposed to with someone because I've done both and they're both wonderful. But the thing is, is that at least for me and maybe it's different because it wasn't like a wife or like a serious significant other. It was like one of my best friends. Mm -hmm. When I travel with a friend or with someone, it becomes less about the country that I'm in and the environment and the traveling and more about me spending time with the other person and building memories with the other person, right? So like when I look at my other trips where I'm traveling by myself, it's very much about like the country I'm in and the culture and immersing myself with the locals as opposed to my trips where I went with my friend where it was more about like me and them bonding and like having a wonderful time and they're both great. Well, yeah, I think the problem even and as the group gets bigger, you gotta make sure everybody's having a good time. People wanna do different shit. When you're by yourself, it's like, I don't have to know or plan anything. I wake yeah. up, I'm like, I'm in the mood to do this. I'm gonna go to the beach today. Yeah. I'm gonna go to this. So yeah, there's definitely perks of it. But for, yeah, long term, like if you're hopping yeah. around for months on end, yeah. definitely's gotta get lonely at some point. Definitely, and I definitely can see that. I mean, even when I travel by myself, there were certain days where like, even when I, when I was in Norway, where I was like... You know, I wasn't even there that long. I was like, oh, man, like, I wish I had, like, a friend with me, someone I could just talk to. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's really about you. And if you're open and sociable and you're willing to just walk up to people and talk to them and, like, be like, hey, I'm a lone American traveler and, like, I'm here hanging out. What's up? What's your name? You'll always have people hanging out.